37 to 36. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever must be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Thanks be to God. This message is all about out with the old and in with the new, so I thought I'd start it off by saying very... Very happy 2017 to every every one of you. Take up your cross. Verse 34 of Mark 8. And Jesus called to him the throng with his disciples and said to them, If anyone intends to come after me, let him deny himself, forget, ignore, disown and lose sight of himself and his own interests, and take up his cross and follow me, continually cleaving steadfastly to me. This was perfect timing, as was everything that Jesus did and said everywhere Jesus went was perfectly timed for that moment. And this was perfectly timed for the disciples At that moment, the disciples had already been on a very long journey. Let's go back to the beginning. In the wilderness. You might just see some holiday snaps again. (laughs) This is the wilderness. John the Baptist was preaching John the Baptist was the first prophet for hundreds of years. He was a prophesied prophet. (laughs) And he was the greatest prophet. And he was in the wilderness preaching, Repent! Prepare the way. Change your mind. Amend your ways. And he was famous throughout that region from his birth because he had a miraculous birth, if you remember. Thousands came to hear John preach and be baptised by John. 
Even the Pharisees came to be baptised because he was a recognised prophet. He told them off for being hypocrites, but they did come. Herod really liked to listen to John preaching and teaching. Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist, and possibly others of the disciples were before then disciples of John. But all the disciples, I believe, will have heard John the Baptist because he was famous, as famous as you can get in that time. And then John, of course, pointed the way to Jesus. This is the Lamb of God. So everybody who was listening to John and hanging on his every word would have seen Jesus. So I believe that the disciples knew Jesus, knew all about him. I believe they'd heard him preach in the synagogue. They'd heard him preaching. Because after Jesus was baptised, and after he'd been into the wilderness, he came out full of the Holy Spirit. John was arrested. And Jesus came into Galilee preaching. He picked up where John left off. And he preached, repent. And he invited the disciples to come after him. And the disciples didn't hum and haw. And they didn't follow a stranger. They were drawn. And at once, it says, they left and followed Jesus. And they were astonished at his teaching. They saw unclean spirits obey him. They saw storms obey him. They saw water turn into wine. They saw the crippled walk. Diseases healed. The blind see. The deaf hear. The dumb speak. Lepers cleansed. Sins forgiven. Dead raised. They had ringside seats for all the parables. Front row for the Sermon on the Mount. Can you imagine that? Being on the, just being there and listening to Jesus. They saw the multitude fed twice with a little bit of bread and fish. Then, after all that, Jesus gave them authority. And sent them out. And they preached, repent, drove out spirits and healed the sick. So they were prepared. They had repented. They were baptized. They followed Jesus. They had seen, heard and done many amazing Miraculous things. Then they arrived at Caesarea Philippi. Um, And it's a place where all different gods were worshipped. When we we went there, um, this cave here 
was where there were human sacrifices. And in front of this cave, there was a temple. And there were many temples all around. And people came from everywhere to worship the different gods. Um, Our guide said it's like the supermarket of the gods. You could go and you could choose who you worshipped. There was the temple of Augustus, the temple of Zeus, the temple of Pan and the dancing god, the court of Pan, the court of Nemesis, the tomb temple of the sacred goat. Can you imagine the atmosphere? I mean, there was an atmosphere when we went, just those people just staring into, I didn't go up to that cave, but people that went up and stared into it, they said it was real horrible atmosphere that lingered there. Probably their imaginations, but (laughs) a lot went on there. A lot of evil, a lot of worship of idols. Now, the disciples often failed to understand what Jesus was saying to them. I find that myself when I'm reading the words that Jesus spoke. Sometimes I think, what? What? What does that mean? I don't get it. I have to look it up in a few translations and think about it and just study it because just it's beyond, isn't it? Beyond our culture, for one thing. And then Jesus, this place that I've just described was when Jesus asked the big question to many who were there, who do you say that I am? And Peter was the one, wasn't he, who had the right answer. Peter was full of himself. And he rebuked Jesus. He said, no, 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 no. And then another time he said, I will never. Peter had a lot of dying to do. And the disciples had reached the point where Jesus was going to take them to a higher level. Take up your cross. The cross, Jeff Lucas says, the symbol that forever reminds us that God has entered a suffering world to suffer for us and with us. But back then, of course, it wasn't a symbol. It wasn't a symbol of love and hope and grace. It wasn't a necklace. But it was a torturous death. And carrying your cross was carrying your own execution device while being mocked. So what does it mean for us to take up your cross? Well, what it is not, what it doesn't mean is to carry a burden. Oh, this is the cross I have to bear. Not a thankless job physical illness or a difficult relationship or a problem of any kind it is being willing to die to self in order to follow Jesus die to self repent
we have a good start. Romans 6.6 Our old renewed self Sorry, start again. Our old unrenewed self was nailed to the cross. So we are no longer slaves to sin. Verse 2 Consider yourselves also dead to sin. And Colossians 3.3 3, You have died and your new life is hidden with Christ. If you're full of yourself, there's no room for God. We have to let go of the old self and take hold of the new. What's self? Let's have some self words. Self-ish. Me, me, me. Equals miserable. Self-hatred. Self-centered. Self-conceit. Pride. Condemnation. Self-contempt. Self-disgust. Self-despair. Self-importance. Pride again. Self-pity. Self-righteousness. Filthy rags. Self-seeking. And the list goes on. In fact, when I first started to write this, I wrote a long list of all the human condition, all the words, and it filled a page. I thought, I can't I'll be there all, all day saying all that lot. <laughs> the human nature. But this is the good news. We can die. We can rid ourselves, the Bible said. We can kick it out. We can banish it. We can lay aside every weight. We can strip off and throw away. Ephesians 4.22 We can strip yourself of your former nature and put on the new nature. Put on. Put on mercy and kindness, Colossians 3.12 and gentleness and patience. Patience, which is tireless and long-suffering and has the power to endure whatever comes with good temper. Used to say, oh, don't pray for patience, you'll get tribulation. But in actual fact, when when I was studying this, I got a picture in my mind. And it was a hallway with a door and there was a, a coat rack and a coat on the rack. And it was cold outside. And there was a warm coat there. And I was going out. And I had a coat I could put on for the cold. And that's how we get patience. We put it on because we've already got it. If you've got the Holy Spirit in you, you've got patience. You might only have a little bit, but if you put it on, you'll end up with a lot. You have to put it on. We have love. We have joy. We have peace. And this result, when we start to put them on in faith, we get different self-words come up in our lives. We have a self-respect. We become selfless. 
We have self-control. We say, oh, I can't, I can't do that. I can't kick that habit. I can't just have one biscuit. I have to have the whole packet. Yes, you can. And no, you you don't have to have the whole packet because you've got self-control. You have peace. Even if all around you is in turmoil, you have peace. Because Jesus said, peace I give you. You've got it. I have a testimony now. Oh my goodness, have I had a year. When I was a child, God took me right back to a time in my childhood and pinpointed something. The Holy Spirit can do that because the Holy Spirit's a counsellor. And I had a very happy child. I had a lovely, lovely family, loving parents. I, loved, I lived in a lovely house with a big garden. I loved my school. I enjoyed all my lessons. I was a very, very happy child. And as soon as I learned to read, I read everything that Enid Blyton wrote. Because Enid Blyton wrote for all ages. So I started with the faraway tree. And then I progressed to the famous five. And then I went on to Marley Towers. Anyone? <laughs> yeah. And um, that was my world. I lived in my books and films, Walt Disney films. I watched them all. I still know all the words to all the musicals and um, Pollyanna and Hayley Mills, everything that Hayley Mills was in, I was Hayley Mills. In fact, I had an LP of Pollyanna, so I knew all, not only all the songs, but I knew the dialogue. I still know the dialogue. So if you have watched that film, you probably can see me in it. I've seen that many times. And that was what my life was like. That's how I saw the world. And one night, um, my last year of primary school, so I was 10 or 11, I was going upstairs to bed because the next day I was going on holiday with a school who were being taken to Westwood Ho in Devon. And I, was, I can still remember I was about two-thirds of the way up the stairs and my dad shouted me, so come down, Janice, I want you to see this. And I can still hear my mum saying, leave her. She's going on holiday tomorrow. She needs to get a good night's sleep. And my dad's saying, no, she needs to see this. Now I was the oldest of four, and I've always thought myself very grown up. And um, so I was, you know, went downstairs, and we had a little black and white teller because we're going back a long time. (laughs) And um, it was the film footage, the original film footage, of when the Allied forces went into the camps. And my dad wanted me to watch it. Right or wrongly, I watched it. And um, I remember Edna Rainsbury saying to me, um, when they first showed that film in the cinemas, people were crying and running out, you know, distraught, because nobody knew anything about it until it was... They saw those first films. Anyway, I remember sitting on the coach going on my holiday the next day with all these pictures in my head. And my world vision had changed dramatically. 
And I just felt this great, big, huge disappointment that life wasn't what I thought it was. And that disappointment took root in me. And at various times in my life, I felt so bitterly disappointed in other people, in situations, but mostly in myself, my, my own failures, trying my best to do something and not getting it right. Just disappointed. And when I became a Christian, I changed dramatically. I really changed dramatically because I was like a long-haired hippie with ripped jeans and long hair, you know, and all this. Uh, I sort of started to dress like a pastor's wife overnight. <laughs> I did. I'm the old past- I used to say pastor's wives always look like the mothers because of the way they dress. No makeup, woolly hats on and frumpy clothes. And that was me. I changed the way I looked. I changed the music I listened to. Uh, all my LPs were made into fruit bowls, which is what you did in them days. I just get all my friends. Uh, I gave up going out, getting stoned. I did everything, you know, drinking, smoking, everything. I just gave it all up and um, became this perfect Christian. <laughs> On the outside. But I was just full of myself on the inside. And a few years down the line, my life started to go horribly wrong. And I just couldn't cope. I didn't have... I just couldn't cope with what things... I was just so disappointed with everything. Everybody, myself included. I went away, as you know, went away from God for a long time. This summer... I had the biggest disappointment because I had a lovely little shop, as you know. Some of you have been there. I remember Jim coming in. It was a very girly shop. And Jim stood there, leaning on his walking stick, and he went, where's the men's department? (laughs) (laughs) And um, I loved that little shop. But little shops don't do well anymore with all the online shopping and whatnot. And it started to go downhill. And I knew, really, if I'd have been listening to God, I'd have known that was the time to stop. But I didn't. I carried on. It was going to be a success because I had all these plans for my future. I wanted to really be great, really successful so I could move on to something else that I believed God was wanting me to do. I still believe that, but obviously I was wasn't not in that direction. And so it came to a point where my business failed and I ended up owing a lot of money with no way of paying it. And then a man came, so I was disappointed, really disappointed. And I felt like a failure and I was ashamed because I'd not handled my money very well. I was proud as well and not asked for advice when I should have done it and all the rest of it. And then a man came into the shop and he wanted to buy my business, lot, stock and barrel. So I thought, this is it. Thank you, Lord. This is it. So uh, we, I went to see my accountant. He went to his bank manager and we told the landlord. But already the landlord had, I told the landlord that I was 
not renewing the lease. So he was already looking for someone else to take over the lease of the shop. So in order for this man to buy my business, the landlord had to agree to let him have the lease. So I begged and pleaded with the landlord. He did. My, my assistant, Liz, in the shop, my friend who works with me, she begged and pleaded. So he says, right, I'll go on holiday, and for a week I'll think about it. I'll let you know my answer. So I prayed and waited. And as I was waiting and waiting on the Lord, I thought, I'm going to be so disappointed if this doesn't happen. Because this is like the answer to all my problems here. I am going to be so disappointed if this doesn't happen. And um, I was just praying. And Lord, I was reading the word. And this word of God just jumped out at me. And it was about in um, 1 Peter 2.6. It talks about us as being living stones and that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And it said this, He who believes in him shall never be disappointed or put to shame. And that the Lord just said to me, well, I just said, I'm not having this anymore. I've had this disappointment in my life, all my life, and I've never, I didn't have to have it. Because God's saying to me, you'll never be disappointed if you believe in me. So I took that word and I said, right there and then, I'm not having this anymore. I'm never, from this point, going to be disappointed again about anything, ever. Because I've put God in charge of my life. So how dare I be disappointed if something happens to me that I wasn't expecting? Because God's in charge of my life. I've got no right to feel ashamed. I've got no right to be a failure. Because God never fails and he is in me. And so I discarded, I got rid of, I banished disappointment. And guess what happened? I got filled with a great, solid hope. And when Richard preached last week, hands up who's overflowing with hope, I I didn't, because no one else did. (laughs) But I thought, that's me, I am. I am overflowing with hope for my future now. Because I know God's in charge. And I've let go of that thing that was preventing me from walking in truth. So I was not a failure. So then the testing time came. Landlord got back from his holidays. He he was too much of a coward to come in the shop. He rang me up. (laughs) And he said, um, I decided to give the shop to somebody else. Um, and I went, fine, that's fine, absolutely fine. And he was a bit taken aback because everybody else, the man who wanted to buy the business was really disappointed. And Liz who worked with me in the shop was disappointed. And my family and my friends who were, you know, with me, in, with me on it were all disappointed. But I wasn't because I was just excited. What's God going to do? So I 
sold everything in the shop. I sold my house to pay my debts, moving out next week. And I'm just full of hope and full of excitement for what God's got in store for me. It's the human nature, isn't it? What I want to say to you really this morning is don't learn to rise above it or tuck it away. Like Ian said before, let's just be open and honest with ourselves and with God. Because when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Let's get back to John the Baptist. What did he say? He must increase, but I must decrease. In the message it reads, the moment for him to move into the centre while I slip off into the sidelines. Let us not get too comfy here. This isn't our home. Be willing to die. Be prepared to be put to the test, to be moulded and pruned. That's what happens when we move into difficult circumstances. You're being moulded and pruned. It's an untrue saying, oh, she'll never change. Oh, he'll never change. Always the same, never change. You and I can change. Because we are followers of the one who transforms So put God in charge. Let's just pray. This is um, from Peter's first letter. When Peter wrote this first letter, he'd learnt a lot from that day. May grace and peace be given you in increasing abundance. That spiritual peace to be realized in and through Christ, freedom from fears, agitating passions, and moral conflict. Lord, help us to know these things and remember it's all about you, Jesus. Put God in charge and daily take up your cross and follow him. Amen.